Well, thank you, Pastor Brian. That's quite an introduction. <sighs> My friends, it's good to be here with you today. As Pastor Brian mentioned, um, I've had a long, winding, and at times difficult journey here to Hamilton. But it feels wonderful to be amongst you today. I have to confess, and it is a confession, maybe I'll repent of it, I don't know, that I am American. Um, so I'm especially grateful to speak today at a church, um, a, a wonderful Kiwi congregation that is well used to an American accent. John the Baptist prepared the way for Jesus. And although Pastor Brian is no John, and I am certainly no Jesus, I am glad he made a path um, straight for your tolerance for an American and indeed a Californian accent so that you could understand me here today. But in all seriousness, I wanna thank Pastor Brian, the elders, Pastor Rachel, um, and all of you for inviting me here today. I've had the chance to get to know Brian and Rachel uh, over the past few months. And uh, I praise God and thank our God uh, that you in the congregation have such a godly, loving, charitable, empathetic uh, pastors and, and that you're in their hands here at Hamilton uh, Central Baptist Church. I'm honored that they've given me the opportunity to speak to you today about one of the most important aspects in the Christian life, that of repentance and to explore why our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, a sinless life, would not only submit to, but insist upon a baptism, not of faith in God, or a baptism of testifying to salvation of a new, or of a new life in God, but specifically to a baptism of repentance. Though the baptism of Jesus is recorded in all four Gospels, our text today is Mark 1, verses 1 through 11. Though it was the first Gospel to be written, Mark is the second book in the New Testament. And for those of you who may be new to church or new here, uh, the New Testament in your Bibles is the one right after the Old Testament. So you can just turn sort of towards the end. If you have any questions about this ordering, uh, you can ask Pastor Brian after the service. <laughs> now, all four of the Gospels either specifically refer to Jesus' baptism as a baptism of repentance, or use language closely associated with repentance, such as making our crooked paths straight. Oops. But I have chosen the account in Mark today because it is the shortest and most direct account of the life of Jesus Christ. But we often neglect just how important of a ministry this was. Historically, the church has celebrated Christ's incarnation and the virgin birth on Christmas, and the church has set aside Good Friday to uh, remember and mourn the death of Jesus Christ, and Easter Sunday to celebrate the resurrection and ascension of our Lord. When I lived in France and Switzerland, Pentecost was a bank holiday, and being an American, I would show up for work and no one would be there. The doors would be locked um, because it was Pentecost. I, do, 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 is Pentecost a holiday here in New Zealand? Do you get stuff to show up for work? Okay. But for whatever reason, we sadly seem not to assign as much importance to Christ's baptism. 
And this, my friends, I think is a mistake. As crucial and important as the virgin birth is, it is recorded in just three of the four Gospels. And while we would be gravely mistaken to de-emphasize the importance of Jesus' uh, birth, death on the cross, or resurrection, we must remember his life and ministry fulfilling all righteousness for us. Jesus' baptism <coughs> is recorded in all four Gospels for a reason. Because it was crucial, both for our understanding of who Jesus is and also for our salvation. The account of John's ministry and Jesus' baptism is most concise in Mark, which allows us to narrow our focus. As an elder once told me, the congregation will forgive a bad sermon, but they will never forgive a long sermon. So I've chosen Mark in part so we can consider Jesus' baptism in the same breath as John's ministry. You see, my friends, most pastors would break this, up, this event up into at least two sermons, focusing the first on John and the second on God's declaration that he was well-pleased in his beloved son, which occurred immediately after the baptism. And some congregations would even, or some pastors would even, add a third sermon, taking lessons from Jesus' baptism and trying to apply them to our baptisms. And while these approaches have several merits, it, their downside is that they too often fail to highlight that Christ's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Which may indeed be the most important point of this entire episode of Jesus' life. Of course, John was certainly a great prophet in the tradition of Elijah. And yes, God was well pleased with his perfect son, and the great theophany that occurred in this event is definitely worth studying. But it is at least as important to investigate and highlight the apparent paradox, it's an apparent paradox, that a person who never sinned, ever, nevertheless, went through a baptism of repentance. Now let's... Uh, break from my uh, vain introduction and actually read the text itself because this is really why we're here to read and understand the gospel message itself. So if you'll turn with me again, that's um, Mark 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 11. As I mentioned, this is uh, in the New Testament, which is right after the Old Testament. So if you'll pull out your phones or your Bibles and we're going to come to Mark 1 or it's also on the screen behind me. Let's pay careful attention, because this is the word of God. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John came, baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made out of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me will come one more powerful than I, 
the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time came Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee um, and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw the heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. A voice from heaven came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Thus far the reading and hearing of God's holy word. Let's take a moment to pray for the, for the preaching and the hearing of, of his word in today's sermon. Heavenly Father God, we come before you as sinners in need of your grace, as sinners eager to hear your word preached. We pray that you would superintend and guard my mouth and my heart and my mind as I preach. I pray you will open all of our ears so we could hear your good news. And Father, I pray that as we read your, and study your scripture today, you would help us to believe more and more in the Christ who not only died for us, but also lived and repented for us. In Christ's name, amen. Now, the immediate context for Christ's baptism is John's ministry. And his ministry was baptizing and preaching in the Jordan River. But it's important to remember that baptism was not really a Christian novelty or anything new. It wasn't something that came up our, uh, about um, with, Christ, with, the, with Christianity. There are types and foreshadows of baptism in the Old Testament. In terms of baptisms of water, we can recall Noah's Ark and um, all of Noah's family being baptized in the flood. The Israelites were baptized in the Red Sea. And in terms of initiation rituals, we see circumcision in the Hebrew Bible, which is replaced by baptism in the New Testament as a way of entry into the community of believers. These, of course, have some similarities, but also many differences with Christian baptism. But as we will see, there were at least two types of baptism in the New Testament. So this raises a question. What was the baptism of Jesus? What was the baptism of Jesus? It was a baptism of repentance. But the most immediate context that the readers of Mark would associate with the, the concept of baptism even before they had heard the gospel, um, the, the other baptisms were occurring in ancient Israel by distinct Jewish separatist groups during the Second Temple period. John's baptism was one of these baptisms. It was a, it, it was a, a wonderful um, example of these baptisms, and we know because it's recorded in the New Testament, it was a God-ordained example of those baptisms, but there were others occurring at this time as well. But even this wouldn't have been the most, um, the most pressing example of baptism that Mark's readers would have known about. There were many other types of pagan baptisms in the ancient, ancient Near East, ancient Egypt, the Greek world, and in the contemporary Roman Empire. Lots of religions did baptism at this time. There were often these were often initiation rituals, and sometimes they symbolized a redirection in the life of the baptized to live in a different sort of life than one had previously lived. And this time, after the baptism, uh, those who would participate in these um, other religions' baptisms 
they were to ardently rededicate their lives to a particular deity. So the notion that there were different sorts of baptisms would not be, between different religions and even among the, within the same religion, would not have been a foreign concept, would not be difficult for Mark's re, uh, readers to understand. It was expected, it was normal. But this of course leads us to ask, what was Jesus's baptism all about? And to what extent is it similar or different to the baptism of Jesus' early believers? And that'll be our question today. What was the baptism of Jesus? Well, to begin with, we know that it was a baptism of repentance. We see this in, um, in, in all four of the gospel accounts. It, uh, they all either specifically mention this as a baptism of repentance using that language, or in some of the accounts, uh, or in one of the accounts, in, in John actually, it, it, it uses language associated with repentance, like making our crooked paths straight. So we know that this is a baptism of repentance, which is different than some of the other baptisms we see even in the New Testament. Now, if, you, if we'll, you'll turn with me um, to uh, Matthew 18, I'm sorry, Matthew 28, we'll see the difference here between the baptism of repentance that Jesus undergoes and the baptism that Jesus uh, commands for us to follow and, and to observe in the New Testament. So we turn to Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew is also in the New Testament. It's right before Mark. We'll see the Great Commission. And in this Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples after the resurrection, after his crucifixion, after his ascension, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, clearly, when we teach everything that Jesus has commanded us, repentance is part of that. That's one aspect, in fact, perhaps one of the most important aspects of the Christian life but it's not specifically mentioned here by Jesus. It's one of the things he's commanded us, but this is not a baptism of repentance per se, but the baptism Jesus underwent was a baptism of repentance. We see this uh, distinction again in Acts. If you'll turn with me uh, to the book of Acts, uh, we see this in Acts chapter 19. And in Acts 19, we see the disciples of John, who had undergone that baptism of repentance, come across the Apostle Paul. And there's a question whether these disciples who had, of John, who had been baptized in the River Jordan under this baptism of repentance, would need to be rebaptized by Paul into a Christian baptism in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They had just been baptized a few years earlier but now under Paul, would they have to be baptized again? And this raises the question of what sort of a baptism was it? And if we turn to um, Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse one, we read, oh, I got it up there. Uh, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, 
did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit, um, uh, sorry, excuse me, when Paul placed his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were 12 men in all. So there was a need to be baptized because the baptism of John was not a Christian baptism in the sense that it wasn't um, a baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They hadn't even heard of the Holy Spirit yet. So this was a different sort of baptism that Jesus underwent um, than the ones that we undergo today. It's a baptism of repentance. And that, of course, raises the question, what is repentance? What is repentance? Well, first, we know that repentance is a very important part of the Christian life, if not one of, perhaps even the most important part. Many theologians have noted that the Christian life is a life of repentance. So what is repentance? I'm trained as a professor, and usually if you ask a professor a question about what something is, they start by explaining what it isn't. And so I'll do that first. <laughs> repentance does not mean, it is not merely the cessation, the cessation of sinning. If you have a problem with theft, if you like to steal, stopping your, your thievery does not mean you have repented. It's much more than that. If you have a problem with lust or covetousness, or if you're dealing with um, placing other things, idolatry, placing other gods before our true and one and only God, and you give up that particular sin, do not think that is repentance. Repentance is much more than that. Repentance also doesn't equal penance. Doing something to make up for your sin, punishing yourself, doing a good deed to offset the bad is not a, at all in accordance with the Christian idea of penance. Within Islam, we see the concept that if you do more good works than bad works, if you just do just a little bit more, you get to go to heaven. So if you do many bad works, then you do more good works, and if it's just 51% better, you get to go to heaven. Within Christianity, if you do 99.99999% good works and just the smallest bad work, you will go to hell. And justly, because God hates sin. And our holy God will not be in the presence of any sin whatsoever. So Christianity is much more strong in the sense of God's justice. Although we also, through the cross, completely understand God's mercy and those two go together completely and perfectly. So you cannot, do, you cannot be penitent and just uh, make up for your sins by doing good works. The Roman Catholic Church, uh, in, their, in their sacrament of penance, says that one must have contrition in their heart, which is clearly part of repentance, that one must confess their sins, which is often uh, a part of repentance, although they would say that you have to do it to a priest, 
And then they, the priest will assign you a penitential act. Perhaps uh, if you're a Roman Catholic and you commit a small sin, you might have to say a certain amount of Hail Marys or Our Fathers. Um, it, larger sins would require larger, th uh, bigger things. And in, in some cases, you could get away from that last part of having to do something to make up for your sins by buying an indulgence or going on a pilgrimage or, or, or doing some sort of a good work. But this sort of penance, doing something to make up for something bad that you have done, while we should do good things, is not repentance. And that was one of the major distinctions that began with Martin Luther in the Reformation era, that repentance is different than mere penance. Repentance also is different than mere restitution. So if I come and steal your wallet after uh, the service, I don't plan on doing this. But, but if I were to do this, and then I would come back the next day and give it back to you, well, that's a good thing. I probably should do that. But that restitution is not repentance. It's just giving someone back something. When I was uh, a little uh, kid, my brother, one of my younger brothers, I won't mention his name here, stole a candy bar from a local pharmacy. And my father made him bring it back and confess to the manager of the pharmacy and to return the, the candy bar and to say he was sorry and he never did it again. It was a good teaching moment. But that restitution is different than repentance. So now that I've defined what, rep, what, uh, what repentance isn't, let's look at what it is. Here's a definition that I've modified from, from a Christian confession. And here it goes. Repentance is when a sinner, out of a true sense of his or her sin, and understanding the mercy of God in Christ, does, with grief and hatred of his or her sin in their heart, turn away from it and towards God, with full purpose and effort towards new obedience. So it is a complete turning away of, of your sin towards God, a reorientation of your entire life and thought process towards God. It isn't simply doing something or not doing something. It is a complete reorientation of your life. Of course, this raises the question, why would Jesus need to do this? Jesus didn't sin. Jesus lived a perfect, perfect life and fulfilled all righteousness. But it also raises some other questions. Have I repented enough to get into heaven? Have I really sat down at the end of every day or the end of every hour and thought, what have I done wrong? How have I violated God's holy law? How could I reorient my entire life towards Jesus? What have I been looking at? What have I been hearing? What have I been doing that is not in accordance with God's holy law? Have you done this enough to get into heaven? Raise your hand if you think you have. And if you have your hand up, please come see me after the sermon. Because no, you haven't. No, you haven't done enough. All of those passages that we see in the New Testament, repent and believe, repent and believe and be baptized, be saved. Your repentance is not good enough. Even if you work really hard, at it, even if you've devoted yourself more than any other person, in the entire world to repenting, if you have the best motivations, your repentance is not good enough. 
Now, what if I have, have I repented sufficiently to be saved? Has my repentance been true enough? Have I really given up that bad sin and turned towards God enough to be saved? Well, if, if that's what salvation was based on, it would be based on a work. But perhaps some of you here have done that. Does, would anyone like to raise their hand if they have repented sufficiently to be saved? Again, if, if you have, please come and see me or Pastor Brian after the service. Because the answer is no, you haven't. You may have done a great job of repentance, far better than me or others, but not enough to be perfect, to be saved. And what about the sins that I commit after my baptism? Imagine this, you're in a car ride home with your family, and, or maybe you're speaking to someone on the Bluetooth, and you just get really frustrated with them, and you have some anger or hatred in your heart to them. And just then, the car is smacked by a train or another car, and you die. What about that sin that you haven't had a moment to repent of? You haven't had the opportunity to consider that sin because you died before it happened. And let me just say, congregation, that all of us will die. The death rate today in New Zealand is the exact same as it was in the life of Jesus, at the time of Jesus. It, it's, it's really a miracle in the sense that it hasn't changed at all. The death rate is still 100%. Everyone here will die. And before you die, I guarantee you, you will not have the chance to repent of every sin you've ever committed because we are so sinful, we don't even remember all the sins we've committed. So what about the sins I still commit after my baptism and before my death? The answer to that is to look to Jesus and trust in his work and not our own. You see, brothers and sisters, my friends, Jesus never sinned but he did undergo a baptism of repentance for us. We will be judged by works, not just by faith. But it's not our works that we will be judged by. If we have faith in Christ, it will be his works, his perfect life imputed to us, his repentance, his baptism of repentance, which he didn't need to do for himself. He had never sinned. But you will get credit for his repentance. What's God's standard? It isn't being really good at repentance. It isn't being very serious about repentance to be saved. It's perfection. It's not trying really hard. It's not being 100% locked in and reading our Bibles every day and coming to church and volunteering for the coffee ministry or the music ministry. It isn't even you know, buying Pastor Brian and Pastor Rachel nice gifts or, or even buying the guest preacher many nice gifts. That, that, that isn't the standard. The standard is perfection. Perfect, personal, and perpetual obedience to God's law. That was what was commanded of Adam in the garden. It wasn't try really hard and, and really do your best and be, and, and be on fire for God. It was do this and live. Don't do this most of the way. Do this and live. Do this and die. And that is the standard perfection. And we all fall short of that. Your repentance does not equal perfect repentance. It isn't perfect. It is by definition imperfect. So the standard is perfection, and whose perfection can we rely on? 
if you're looking to your own repentance to be saved, we have a problem. Because your perfection, your good works, your best works will send you straight to hell. You don't even have to, God doesn't have to look at our bad works. If you look at our good works, they are not perfect. And the standard by which we are judged is perfection. So, we see that this was a baptism of repentance. And who is the perfect one who was baptized for repentance? We see that that's Jesus. If we turn again back to our passage here in Mark, the first chapter of Mark, we see beginning in verse... uh, Beginning at verse 9, and I'll read this again. At that time, Jesus came to Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. I think many of us remember um, the old King James Version, um, my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Why was God well pleased? Because Jesus did such a good baptism for us? No, he's pleased at his perfection. Jesus earned God's pleasure. Now, I love my son. I am incredibly pleased with my son. When I see him, my eyes light up, and everything he does is so cute, and even when he's naughty, it's still pretty cute. And I just want to hug him and kiss him and There's nothing I'd love to do more than spend time with my son all the time. I really love this kid. But I'm not pleased with him in the sense that God was pleased with Jesus. His pleasure didn't come from Jesus being super cute and cuddly. It came from Jesus' perfect life and his, his perfection. Not sitting, fulfilling that commandment in the garden to do this and live. But he didn't live. He died. He died for us. We get to live because of that. So God's, perfect, God's love of Jesus is based on his perfection. He's pleased with him. He repented, not for himself, but for you. He didn't just die for you, although we do say, yes, Christ died for me. You have to believe that he died for you. But he didn't just die for you. He also lived for you. And what's more, he repented for you. If you believe in Jesus and receive him by faith, You not only receive absolution from your your sins, which he took care of on the cross, but if that's all you received, you'd be back in the garden. You could fall again. But he doesn't bring us back to the garden. There's um, an old song, uh, and I forget who it is. Um, Perhaps some of you uh, here uh, who are more hip than I will remember, but um, it, it came out of the time of Woodstock. And you know, the chorus was, and we got to get ourselves back to the garden. No? Anyone? Uh, does anyone remember who I'm speaking of? Anyway, that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to get back to the garden. Jesus not only takes us back to the garden through his death, but he takes us beyond the garden through his life. He does do this and live to fulfill all righteousness. So we're not in that liminal state where we could fall out of the garden or stay in the garden, we are secure in our salvation because he not only died for us, but he lived and indeed repented for us. So, again, I understand that you will forgive a a bad sermon, but not a long sermon, so let's wrap up here. What's our takeaway message? 
Our takeaway message, of course, is that Jesus repented for me, so I don't need to repent of any of my sins, and I can go on sinning as much as I want. Right? Wrong. See, that was a trap. <laughs> Almost got you there. Um, no, we, we do need to repent. We do need to repent of our sins. But our, re our repentance will never be perfect. It will always be flawed. And if we are judged on our repentance, we will go straight to hell. So one takeaway message is believe in Jesus. Believe in him. Another is not only to believe in him, but believe in his life, death, and resurrection. His life as well as his death and resurrection. And the third takeaway message is let's follow our Savior. Now, we'll never do it perfectly, but let's repent of our sins. Ultimately, though, when we repent of our sins, we have to put our trust in Christ's repentance for our salvation and not our own. So that's our message for today. And our final message would be, why did Jesus, why was Jesus baptized with a, uh, with a baptism specifically, not of faith, not of washing himself clean, but of repentance? Why did a perfect person who had no need for repentance repent? And he did it for you so that you can be saved, not only reconciled with God, but be seated at his right hand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for the life and death, resurrection and ascension of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Help us, O oh God, help us to remember when we're feeling pr uh, proud or prideful or overconfident that our good works, our ministry, our love for one another, our repentance is not the on the basis on which we could ever get to your heavens, but it's Christ's work his death on the cross, his repentance for us, in which we place our trust. Help us to take this message and may it inspire us that out of gratitude we could repent of our sins and love one another more, to serve you more and more fervently, but never placing our trust in that service for our own salvation. Be with each and every one of us today, Lord, as we go. Be with me, be with every member of the congregation and help us to remember Jesus Christ and him crucified, but also him who lived for us. We pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen.